Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. It is the last week in our We Are Redemption series. How many of you have loved this series so far? How many of you enjoyed this series? Grateful. It is the last week. It is the final week. It is the grand finale of our We Are Redemption series, which is all about how we experience life change through Jesus here as a church. And my hope, my goal, my prayer for all of us is coming out of the last six months with all the COVID crazy, everybody's going to get back on the same page. We're going to get back on board. We're all going to get back on mission, get plugged in, get connected, and get committed to the local church because we exist to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through who? Jesus. That's who we are. That's why we exist. And my hope, my goal, and my prayer through this series is that you would begin to find your place, discover your purpose, use your gifts to begin to make a difference here in our church. So let me give you a quick recap of everything that we have covered so far. Week one, we talked about what is a church. And here's what we discovered, that a church is not a building, a business, or an event. The church is a body. We are a family. It's an identity. That church isn't an activity. It's not just somewhere we go. No, it's who we are. We are the church, and we are redemption. Week one was what is a church. Week two, we discussed discipleship, what it means for us and how we follow Jesus as a church, that we don't want to just make decisions. No, we want to make disciples. We don't believe in casual Christianity here at Redemption. No, we believe in devoted discipleship that goes on and makes a difference. Week three, we got real down and nerdy because we discussed sound doctrine. We used big theological words because we believe that one of the ways that we grow in our love for God is by growing in our knowledge of the Lord as well. We don't want to just hear the word. We want to apply God's word to our life. That's what sound doctrine is. Last week, we taught on the Great Commission, that we want to be a church that is committed to fulfilling the Great Commission from Beaumont and beyond. We want to be committed, just like Jesus says, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Guys, Jesus is still with us and the call and the command and the commission from Jesus is still the same. Jesus says, go. And so here's what we said. We are going to reach one person. Every single one of you has a one in your life. 95% of believers will never get the joy, the privilege, and the opportunity to lead one person to Christ in their life. But that's not who we are as a church. We ain't no statistic. We are going to make a difference, and we're all going to get our one. Everyone has a one, and the only way we're going to accomplish that is if together as a church, we commit to be a community that is going to fulfill the Great Commission. So here's what we said. We are going 
We're going. Jesus says go, and that's what we're going to do. We are going to make disciples. We are going to reach the lost. We are going to share our faith. We are going to baptize more people. We are going to start new ministries. We are going to raise up new leaders. We are going to launch a youth group. We are going to invest in children's ministry. We are going to invest in sending missionaries around the world. We are going to plant new churches. We are going to buy a new building. We are going because that's what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus says, go. So my question to close this sermon series is this. How are we going to pay for all of that? Today, we're talking about money. That's right. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of stewardship. It's how we are going to be able to invest in the kingdom of God. That's what stewardship is. Stewardship is investing in the kingdom of God. It talks about budgeting. It talks about resources. It talks about saving and spending. But above all of those things, here's what stewardship really is. It is investing in the kingdom of God. So today we're going to talk about money. And I know that so many of you are so excited for the money sermon. That's why I saved it for last. But I want to tell you something, that the way that God's word talks about money is a lot different than the way most of us learned when it comes to the world. Listen, 30% of all of the world's wealth is right here in the good old U.S. of A. 30% of the resources, finances, economy, and the wealth of the world is right here in the good old U.S. of A. We are are a very prosperous nation, but when you take a look at the finance statistics of many of us, it's not going very well. So let me just read to you some statistics here. 20% of Americans have 0% in savings. 40% of Americans have less than $10,000 in retirement. 50% of millennials have zero in retirement because we spend all our money on bang energy drinks and avocado toast. Two thirds of Americans have less than $1,000 in case of an emergency. Half of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 32% of Americans have a budget. That means the other percentage do not operate on a budget. Average American owns $38,000 in personal debt. Okay, now, raise your hand if one of those applies to you. Okay, so we're going to need to talk about stewardship then, right? So you see why this is so important for us as a church, because we want to help you experience life change through Jesus. And if we can trust Jesus in every area of our life, then we can also learn to trust Jesus when it comes to our finances. And this is why the subject of stewardship is so important. In fact, it's one of the major themes in all of the scripture. How many of you think that prayer is important? You think prayer is important? How many of you have heard a sermon over prayer? You ever heard a sermon over prayer? Come to First Wednesday this week, and guess what? We're going to preach and teach and practice prayer. Prayer is a priority for us. Well, the word prayer and the teachings of prayer shows up 371 times in the Bible. How about belief? Anybody think belief is important, that we need to practice what we believe? We need to believe in God. Belief is mentioned 247 times. Faith. 
It's impossible to God to please God without faith. We are saved by grace through faith. How many of you think faith is an important subject that pastors should teach over? Faith. Well, faith is mentioned 500 times. What about marriage? Do you think marriage is important to God? Is marriage important to us? We just did a whole sermon series called The Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage as we studied the book Song of Solomon. Well, marriage is mentioned 43 times in the Bible. All of those are very important. Should we teach those things? Should we preach those things? Should we talk about those things? Why? Because they're important for your life as well. Well, when it comes to the theme of stewardship, finances, saving, wealth, it shows up in your Bible 2,350 times because it's important to God and it's important to us. And so God wants us to teach us what it means for us to be a good steward because everywhere in the world is talking about money. Right now, whenever you turn on the news, one of the big debates is what's going to happen with the economy. That's a really big deal. And that centers around money. Due to COVID-19, many people have lost their jobs or jobs have begun to reopen and now you're doing a lot more work on the back end and you're overworked, underpaid, overwhelmed. And what's the big stressor in that? It's the finances. One of the major causes of fights within a marriage deals with finances. People talk about money everywhere they go, except for when it comes to the church. And people are like, oh, the church can't talk about money. But everybody else is talking about money, so we need to talk about it. You wouldn't believe what happened to me the other day. Listen to this. I went to Starbucks, and when I pulled around, you know what that cashier lady asked me for? My money. You would not believe it. And you know what? I didn't get offended at her for talking about money. So when it comes to the church, we also have to have this same attitude. But here's the difference, is we don't want to have a perspective of money that comes from the world, because we notice, according to these statistics, the world's way is not working. And so we need to find a better way. And the better way, I believe, comes from God's word. And so today we're going to learn... We're going to learn what it means to be a steward, and I want to help you. And so I got six steward statements, little quips, phrases that if you remember and you apply to your life, write them down, and you keep them in your wallet as you go around, I believe that these words, these statements will really help you begin to experience life change through Jesus, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you got your sermon notes, go ahead, pull it out, write it down. The first steward statement that I have is this. God is the owner and I am the manager, right? There's three ways that you can begin to view money. The first way you could view money is this. What's mine is mine. Okay, you ever met somebody think like that? What's mine is mine. It's my money. I earned it. I deserve it. I can keep it. And nobody can tell me what to do with my money. Whenever you get your paycheck, whose name's on there? Well, it's my name, which means it's my money. This is what's known as a selfish mentality because it's all about you, what you want, when you want, and you have no cause or concern for other people. That's a mine is mine selfish mentality. The second mentality when it comes to money is a stealing mentality. This is what's yours is mine. I'm going to take it. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You probably did something illegal to get it. So I'm going to take it from you and then I'm going to give it to other people. The rich don't deserve that money. Let's have a little redistribution of wealth. And so we're going to take from them, give to them. Robin Hood was my favorite book. And that's just kind of the way that I live my life because what's yours really is mine. This is the way that toddlers and politicians think. 
I know that because I have two toddlers at my house and they run around just like a politician. That's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, 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 mine. I'm like, hey, that's mine. She's like, what's yours really is mine. That's called stealing and it's wrong. But there is a third mentality and here's what it is. This is not in your notes, but go ahead and write it down. It's very important. What's mine really is his. This is the way that a steward thinks, that what's mine really belongs to him. Did you know that everything that we have in this life is a gift? That everything that we have is a blessing that comes from God. What's ours really ultimately comes from him, and beyond that, it belongs to him. This is the way that a a steward begins to think. And some of y'all, you're not so sure what I'm saying. So let me go ahead and read you a verse, a couple of verses, just to be able to prove my point. Here's what Psalms 24, one says, the earth is the Lord's. Whose does it belong to? The Lord and the fullness thereof, of the world and those who dwell within it. So everything in the earth, whose is it? It's the Lord's. He created it. He made it and it all belongs to him. So the plants, the stars, the moon, the trees, the birds, the beasts of the field, everything that you see belongs to him. Everything you touch, taste, feel, smell, all belongs to him. The galaxies, billions of light years away, guess whose those are? Those are his. Even the smallest micron in the universe, guess who that belongs to? That belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to God. Haggai 2.8 actually says this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. This would be the same thing as saying, the cash is mine, your investment accounts are mine, your retirement accounts are mine, all of your savings is mine, the cash is mine, the coins in between your couch cushions, those are my coins, all the Bitcoin, that's my coins. Everything that you have ultimately belongs to him. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Here's what Deuteronomy 8.18 says. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Some of you are like, nuh-uh, that's mine. I earned it. I worked really hard. Listen, I am not against a strong work ethic. If you know me, I work hard, and I value hard work. You say, but I worked for this. Actually, it's him who gave you the ability and the power to be able to have that job. You say, but I came up with the idea that created the innovation or the invention. Well, who gave you that brain? God did. So there you go. Use that brain for the glory of God. You say, but I made this. I earned this. And then the Bible would actually say that everything you have a gift is from the Lord. Even the ability to earn wealth is a gift that comes from God. And then my personal favorite is this. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price that you belong to the Lord Jesus. This is what Jesus does for us. Jesus is such a great giver that we give our lives to him. We are bought and we become his possessions. That Jesus comes and he lives the perfect life, the life we never could live. And through our sin and through our separation and through our rebellion against him, here's what we've done. We've accrued a debt. 
We have accrued a, 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 a sinful financial status before the Lord. And so there's a theological term called the ransom. That Jesus would come in and he would pay the ransom of our sins. He pays the debt of our sins. The price that we owe, Jesus comes and he writes a check in his own blood and he forgives us of all of our sins. He ransoms us back and we belong to him. We are the most prized, beautiful, valuable possessions that God owns. He owns the universe, but he loves us. He owns the money, but he loves us. He owns the abilities, but he loves us. And we are his possessions. We have been bought and paid for by a price. Everything we have belongs to him. This is the steward mentality. Because when you understand this, it really changes your perspective about so many different things in your life. That everything I have is a gift. One, it combats an attitude of entitlement that other people owe you something, which is not true. Nobody owes you anything. Everything we have is a gift that comes from him. So it battles against an entitlement mentality, but on the other hand, it allows you to begin to have an attitude of gratitude. That you become grateful for everything that you have. Instead of looking out and seeing all the things you don't have and judging people for the things that they do have and feeling like you're owed something because you don't have everything, you begin to realize that everything you already have is a gift that comes from him. And you become grateful for the many blessings that oftentimes you're overlooking. So think about it like this. As a steward, I want you to do this. When you leave here today and you get in your car, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think, thank you, Lord, for letting me drive your car. That's his car. When you go out to eat and you go to Chili's and you get their two for 20, and I want you to think, thank you, Lord, for letting me eat your quesadilla explosion salad. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's so good. What I want you to do is when you go home, I want you to say, thank you, Lord, for letting me live in your home. Whenever you kiss your husband or your wife, what I want you to think is, Lord, thank you for letting me marry your daughter. Thank you, Lord, for letting me marry your son. When you look at your kids, I want you to think, thank you, God, for letting me raise your kids because everything I have is a gift that comes from you. When you go to H-E-B and you get that fresh produce and you go to swipe your card, it says your name on it. Go ahead, mark your name off, write the Lord Jesus' name on it and say, thank you, Jesus, for letting me buy your tomatoes and your fresh fruit. Swipe that card, providing for my family. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving so much to me. It creates an attitude of gratitude in your heart. But the second thing it does is this, is it actually creates a stewardship mentality because when you realize that you're spending somebody else's money, you're not going to spend it foolishly. Think about it. If somebody were to give you $100 and say, hey, I want you to go to the store, buy some groceries for us, and then you have a little bit left over, and then you can kind of take care of you, but bring back so we can have family dinner tonight. What are you going to do? You're going to be very wise with that money, aren't you? You're not going to go and just start buying all sorts of different things, come back with video games, a pack of cigarettes. You're not going to come back with new pants. You're not going to do those things. What are you going to do? You're going to go to the store. You're going to get what they told you to do. You're going to come back, bring back the change because it's not your money. That's stewardship. That God is trusting you with his money. He wants you to be able to take care of your family. And then all he does is ask for the change back at the end. That's stewardship. Because you're not going to spend your money because it doesn't belong to you. You're going to spend his money a little bit differently. God is the owner. We are the managers. Let me give you a simple way that this actually works out in my life. The other day, somebody in the church, they came up to me and they said, Pastor Byron, I noticed that you have full sleeve tattoos, right? And I noticed that you've actually never finished your other tattoo. So is it because you believe tattoos are a sin? And I said, 
absolutely not. I do not believe that tattoos are a sin. But this was an opportunity for me to begin to teach him about good stewardship. Because tattoos are not sinful, but if you don't have the money to get them, it's poor stewardship. And so what I, what I told him is this, yeah, I mean, I would totally get it. If somebody came up to me and said, hey, Byron, here's $1,000, go get your tattoo finished. I'd be like, thank you. But that hasn't happened yet. And what I realized is that there's better places for me to begin investing God's money than just a tattoo for myself. If I came up with $1,000, here's what I would do. I'm going to take my wife on a date. I'm going to be able to take care of my kids. I'm going to buy groceries, pay off some debt, and I'm going to tithe and give to the church, probably pick up another missionary because I want to invest God's money in ways that bring a greater investment. Right now, tattoos, not on the list. It's a stewardship mentality because that's not my money. That's God's money. And I want to invest God's money in ways that bring him the most glory and benefit the most people. That's stewardship. The second principle is this. The second principle we see is this, is that my heart always goes where I put God's money. Go ahead and write that down in your notes. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Whose money is it? It's God's money. Okay, and so whatever I give to, that's actually what I live for and begin to love. Do you want to grow in your love for God? Start giving to the Lord. Do you want to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Bible? Start giving to the things of the Lord. Do you want to grow in your love for the church? Start giving to the Lord. Do you want to grow in your love for missions? Start investing your money in missionaries. And I can guarantee you that as you begin sending missionaries, you'll find that your heart goes with them because your heart always goes where you put God's money. This is actually what Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, 21. He says this, He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus is really getting at. If you want to find your heart, all you got to do is follow the money. If you follow the money, you will always find your heart. Because there is a string attached from your wallet to your heart. Do you know how I know that? Because every time you go to make a big purchase and you pull out your wallet, what do you do? Oh, because they're connected. There's a string connected from your wallet to your heart. And that's why Jesus is saying this. If you follow the money, you will find your heart. And here's the reason why. It's because giving is the essence of loving. When you love someone, what do you do? You give to them. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Now, let me ask you this question. Where is God's heart? Say, what is most important to the Lord? What is on God's heart? Well, it's us. Why? Because he trusts us with his money. Where is God's money? It's in your hands. Everything you have belongs to him. He's trusted it with you. So where's God's heart? God's heart's for you because he trusts you with his money. God is a good father. God loves us with the love and the affection that a father has for his kids. He gives to us. He is gracious to us. He blesses us. He's always there for us. God's heart is for us because he gives to us. Listen, I'm a dad. I have two beautiful little girls, and I want to do everything that I can to be able to give to them, to be able to provide for them, to be able to take care of them, and to be able to bless them. Some people say, I do not want my kids to be spoiled. Okay, I do. I'm going to go on record and say, I want to spoil my kids. I just don't want them to act spoiled. But I do want to spoil my kids. I want them to know that daddy always gives and blesses them. That daddy always takes care of them, provides for them. I want them to know that I work hard to provide security for them in our home so that they can flourish, so they can grow. I want my kids to experience that. I just don't want them to act that way. 
This is the same way that God is for us. He provides for us. He cares for us. He is generous to us. Now, what would happen if I told you I love my kids so much, but I don't give anything to them? Would you think, yeah, that guy really loves his kids, right? Right, if it's their birthday and I don't give them any presents and I give them like a eggplant cake, would you think I love my kids? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't think that, right? What if it's cold and I don't pay for the electricity and I make them sleep outside? Would that, would that be loving towards my kids? No. If Christmas comes along and I don't get them anything, would you think, oh, he's so loving towards his kids? No, you wouldn't. Why? Because I'm not giving to them. Love is the essence of giving. You love what you give to and you give to what you love. Now, on a steward, we understand this. But let's flip it back in the other direction. If everything we have a gift that comes from God and our money always goes where we put God's heart or God's heart rather always goes where we put our money, then how are we giving back to the Lord? Listen, I'm going to say something that's really tough. Y'all need to brace yourself. But I really feel impressed by the Holy Spirit that I need to say something. If you say you love God and you do not give to the things of God, you are a liar. Let me say it again. You're like, Byron, that's really, that's a really strong thing to say. I know it is. I'm going to say it again. If you say you love God and you do not give to the things of the Lord, then you are a liar. You say, ah, you can't say that. You can't say that. You don't know my heart. I don't need to know your heart. All I need to know is what's in your wallet. Because if you follow the money, guess what? You are going to find the heart. You say, Byron, how dare you call me a liar? I ain't calling you a liar. Jesus be calling you a liar because he says this, where your treasure is, your heart is. Either you're a liar or Jesus is a liar. I'm going with him. Because where your treasure is, your heart is. If you don't give to the things of the Lord, you don't love God. You're a liar. Or you haven't learned how to give yet. How many prefer the second option? You're like, I'm going to go with the second option. I just haven't learned how to give yet. Okay, this is the same thing that actually happened to me. God saved me at the age of 19 or 20. And, and I was plugged into a really good church. I loved my church. I was actually growing in my faith. I, I had a great pastor. It was so much fun. And I remember one Sunday, I was sitting in church. I had been there going about two years. And I had never given a single dime to that church. And I've enjoyed everything. I enjoyed the sermons, the worship. I enjoyed the free coffee. I enjoyed all of the different things and the ministries that the church offered for me. And I'm sitting there in church one day and all of a sudden I feel the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and he says, Byron, do you love your church? I said, absolutely, Lord, I, I love my church. And he said, well, why don't you give to it? I said, well, I don't have to give. Everybody else is gonna give. I don't have to do that. I mean, God, don't you know? Like I'm a newlywed, I wait tables, Right? I mean, I live in a 400-square-foot apartment. My couch we found on the side of the road. Our TV is on cardboard boxes. Like, I, I can't afford to give. Go ask somebody else to give. I mean, come on, God. Don't you know where I'm at? And I started making all these reasons and justifications as why I can't give. Some of y'all doing the same thing. And the Lord spoke to my heart again. says, do you love your church? I said, yes, I love my church. He said, I want you to give to your church. So I was like, okay, we're going to figure out how to start giving to the church. So I go to Ashley. And I say, babe, I think that God wants us to begin to start giving. And she said, I have been praying for this for so long. I was like, do what? You've been praying against me? You trying to get, no, no, just kidding. And so she's like, I wanted to tell you, but I just didn't want to offend you. And so I knew God was going to have to change your heart in order for you to start giving. So I was like, 
Praise the Lord for such a beautiful, amazing, inspiring life. We're going to start giving. So I went over to my Nana's house, and I said, Nana, I, I believe that the Lord wants us to start giving. How much are we supposed to give? And my grandmother, she said, well, sweetie, there's this thing called a tithe. It's 10% first and best given to the Lord. And I said, God wants 10% of my money? Because I still didn't have the mindset of a steward, what I should have said is 100% of my money is God's money. He just asked for the change back, 10%. That's a good deal, right? That we get to live on 90% of God's money, and he just asks us for 10% change back. That's a good deal. And I told my nan, I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't have enough faith for that. And so here's what me and Ashley did. We began to barter with God. How many of you ever bartered with God? You ever like make a deal with God? Okay, I've made a deal with God. And so I made a deal with God. I said, God, I'm going to give you my first cut shift on Saturday morning. I was waiting tables at the most amazing restaurant in the world, Chili's. And no, Chili's does not support our church, okay? So I was at, working at Chili's. I was working first cut lunch shift. Basically, all I do is show up, roll silverware, and go home. That was the whole thing. And so first cut lunch, I normally make just a you know, couple bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks here or there. But that Sunday, I made over $100 on my lunch shift. Now, listen, we're poor college kids, okay? And we only made about $300 a week. If I would have agreed to tithe, I would have given 30. Now I got to give 100. God's funny like that. He's like, you don't have enough faith? I'll put you to the test like that. And so I go home and I said, Ashley, you wouldn't believe it. I made $100. And she said, you mean God made $100? I was like, why do you got to be like you? <laughs> and so she said, that's God's money. I said, I'm not giving God this. I mean, I told him I would give him my worst shift and then I make the most money. That's not how it works. She said, well, Byron, I was reading Acts chapter six and the last people who lied about giving, God killed them. So, I mean, you know, like we got to work on this a little bit. You can get smote and struck by lightning. I don't want that to happen, baby. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll give. So the next Sunday comes along and they begin passing the offering plate. I am fixing to give over a hundred dollars. And I just squeezing it in my hand like this. I'm like, oh, this is going to kill me. I'm going to die. I start going through the math in my head. I'm like, rent and cell phone and bills and all of these things. I'm like, this doesn't add up. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. This is going financially going to kill me. And if it doesn't financially kill me, it's going to kill me. Okay. So I'm stressed out. And see, up to that point, every time the offering plate came by, I had considered taking money out, but I never put money in. Okay. <laughs> And so the offering plate comes by, and I'm holding on to it, and I look down, and they're passing the plate. I look down at Ashley, and she's like, I was like, Ugh. So I take a deep breath. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Let it go. Plate passes by. In redemption, I'm excited to tell you that after 13 years, I still have never died. Not once. I still haven't died. Not one time. Been close a few times, but I still have never died. But here's what did happen. My love for the Lord began to grow. My love for the things of God began to grow. My heart for the ministry and for the church began to grow because my heart always goes where I put God's money. And as I began giving to that church, I actually began serving in that church. Listen, this is how much God's heart began to grow in my, my life, is I actually signed up to, 
serving youth, okay? Like, that takes a lot of love from God's heart. For me to serve in the youth, I mean, I had a small group of like five sweaty, smelly teenage boys that I would spend Wednesday nights with discipling. That's how much my love for the church continued to grow. In fact, through that, God called me into ministry. God raised me up as a leader, sent us out to plant churches. And I do not believe that Redemption Church would be here today, 13 years later, if I didn't learn to trust God with my finances that Sunday. You never know what God is going to do when you learn to invest your money in the kingdom of God. My heart always goes where God's money goes, which leads us to the third point. I want you to write this down. Here's the third point is this. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. This is what I learned that day. And this is what I want some of you to understand is that stewardship is really a discipleship issue. Stewardship is not a financial issue. That's what a lot of people think, that stewardship's a financial issue, that if I just make a little bit more money, then I'll be a better steward. No, you won't. (laughs) Because if you're not faithful in the little things, you will not be faithful in the greater things. If you don't learn to make those decisions now, the decisions you make today determine the quality of future that you have tomorrow. It's not a financial issue. It really is a heart issue. I've met people who make a lot of money who are terrible stewards. I know people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're in just as much debt as most of you. (laughs) You say, well, how do I get so much debt when they make so much money? The great philosopher Biggie Smalls would tell you, more money equals more problems. Because you start spending money you don't have to buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't even like. This is what sociologists would call conspicuous consumption. It's where you begin to buy things, not for the functionality of the product, but the identity that comes along with it. It's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. Because I know people who make a modest income, who have a used car, who live in an apartment, raise their kids, and they're the happiest, joyful, content people that you will ever meet. Because they've learned the secret of stewardship is you can't take it with you. So many people want all of heaven in this life. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. J.D. Rockefeller was the richest man who lived in American history. He was worth about $16 billion. After he died, they asked his financial accountant, they said this, they said, how much money did Rockefeller leave behind? You know what he said? All of it. Because you can't take it with you. Have you ever seen a U-Haul following a hearst? No because you can't take it with you. They ain't gonna fit all that junk six feet under with you because you can't take it with you. But here's what you can do. You can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. Here's what we learned in Mark chapter 10 with a person known as the rich young ruler. On the surface, everyone thought the rich young ruler had everything, power, prestige, prominence, reputation. He was the rich young ruler. He had everything. But he realized that there was something missing in his life. And so he runs up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looking at him, he was able to see into his heart. He realized that the rich young ruler's problem was not a financial issue. It was a heart issue. And here's what he said. He got to the heart and he said, go sell all of your possessions, give the money to the poor, come and follow me, be my disciple. And you will have, what does it say? Treasures in heaven. But here's the tragic thing. The rich young ruler walked away. And the Bible says it's because he loved his possessions and he had many possessions. See, some people think they own their stuff, but in reality, their stuff owns them. 
Some people think that they own their possessions, but really they're possessed by their possessions and the things they own truly own them. And they think, I can, I can store everything up here in this world. And Jesus says, you can't take it with you. You came in this world with what? Nothing. And you're going to go out of this world with nothing. You can't take it with you. But if we keep reading, you can actually send it on ahead. Here's what Jesus turns around and says to the disciples. He says, truly, I tell you, that no one who left their house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, every dollar, every dime that you give will be taken, blessed, multiplied and increased not only in this life, but also in the age to come that you're gonna get it all back. You don't give for nothing. God sees it, God recognizes it, he blesses it, and then he's gonna give you the increase on it. Here's what he says, a hundredfold. Now, because most of us aren't really good at math, myself included, like I have to take off my shoes just to be able to count to 10, okay? This is kind of what he's saying. If I were to give you $1,000 today, how many of you would love to take that deal? $1,000 today, that's a good deal. But what if I were to say, you can have $1,000 today or in a year, you can have 10, or you can have $1 million every year for the rest of your life. How many of you would take that deal? That's a, that's a better deal, isn't it? That's a better deal. That's called investing. You can have $1,000 today, or you can have a million dollars every day for the rest of your life, but all you gotta do is, is wait. That's, that's a good deal. If you take the $1,000 today, guess what? You're dumb. <laughs> that's dumb. You're dumb. I'm not calling you dumb, but it's, Dumb, don't do that. And that's the same thing that Jesus tells us is that you can have it all now or you can wait and you can experience it in the future by having treasures in heaven. Listen, we don't give just because it's the right thing to do, which of course it is the right thing to do. We know we're supposed to be generous. We know we're supposed to be kind. We know that we're supposed to give, but that's not the only reason that we give. Here's the other reason we give, not because it's the right thing, but also because it's the smart thing to do. It's smart to give. It's smart to be generous. It's smart to be a blessing because you're storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Financial advisors, they'll tell you, when it comes to investing, you need to think 30 years into the future. 30 years. Retirement, investment, portfolio, IRA, 30 years into the future. Jesus would say, your vision for your life is way too small. You don't need to be thinking 30 years into the future. When it comes to investing, you need to be thinking 30 billion years into the future because you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Every dollar you give, every dime you give is taken, blessed, multiplied, increased by the Lord Jesus. He sees it now in this world, but he also sends it along so you can store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We don't give because it's the right thing to do. No, we give because it's the smart thing to do, which leads to point number four. And I think one of the major reasons people do not understand the principle of stewardship is because they don't understand that heaven, not earth, is our home. So many people want all of heaven right here now. And that's why they're going to miss out on so much of what heaven actually has for them. 
Because we get confused. We think that this life is all there is. You do know that there is another world, right? You do know that there is another life. You do know that there is an age to come after this one. That all we are here is exiles. That's what the Bible calls us. That we are sojourners just passing through. We are aliens. We are strangers in a strange land. Some of y'all strange. So we are a little bit more strange than others, but all of us, when it comes to this life, we are just passing through. We are strangers in a strange land. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. He, he actually writes this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus is going to come. He's going to bring us home with him, and he's going to give us mansions in heaven, recreated the new heavens, new earth. We will receive a resurrected body where we will live with him forever in all of eternity. That's our home. This, this is just the in-between. Let me give you an illustration to better help you understand. Let's say you had to go out of town for work and you're going to be out of town for three months and your company puts you up in a nice hotel and you're in that hotel room and you're looking around. You're like, you know what? I'm going to be here for three months. Let me go ahead and paint these walls. I don't really like these chartreuse curtains. I'm going to go get some new curtains. I'm going to hire an interior decorator. We're going to redesign this whole thing. I'm going to get a plumber to come out. We're going to fix the plumbing. I'm going to upgrade the internet. Give me a new flat screen TV and hang nice paintings and portraits on the wall because, because this, is, this is where I'm going to be for the next three months. How many of you would do that? Why not? Because that's not your home. You don't live there. But that's what so many of us do when it comes to port stewardship is we confuse heaven and earth for our home. Heaven is our home, not earth. Now, God doesn't mind if we take care of our things and the things that we need and that we live a life that is pleasing to him. He doesn't mind those things. But why are we going to blow and waste and spend and invest money in things that in the end will not actually matter? This is a steward mentality. We understand that heaven, not earth, is our home. And when we make a blessing to someone else, when we steward and save and we invest in the kingdom of God, what happens? people's lives all around us begin to change. Do you know what the only thing you can take to heaven with you is? Other people. It's the only thing in heaven. And when you give, there will be other people whose lives have been touched, transformed, changed, who will be waiting for you to welcome you into your heavenly home. The only thing you can take to heaven is other people. And so we got to understand why stewardship is so important to us. Which leads us to the fifth point. Some of you, right now, you're fired up already. I can feel it. I can feel it in the room. You're like, Pastor Byron, let's take up a second offering. I'm ready to start giving. Hey, I love your heart. Go ahead and go online to redemptiontx.com. Click the blue button, and you can set up your reoccurring giving. Thank you so much for that. Because people who give, they know the joy that comes from giving. They know how much of a blessing it is to be able to give to others. I have never met a person who was generous who got offended at the generosity sermon. No one who gives is like, oh, I can't believe he's talking about giving. It's so amazing. Nobody ever does that. People who tithe don't get upset when we teach over tithing. Do you know why? Because they know that tithing works. It's people who don't give who get upset when the pastor talks about giving. And so this point's for you. Giving is the only antidote for greed. Have you ever heard the Bible verse of this? Money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that verse? You ever heard that? It's very popular on YouTube comment sections, Facebook arguments, and from progressive people. They say, money is the root of all evil. And so why do churches ask for money? 
Why do pastors talk about money? Why does the Bible talk about money? Why does God talk about money? If the money is the root of all evil, ergo, God must be evil and the church is evil. Boom. Contradiction in the Bible. You ever heard that? You ever heard that? Okay. Okay. Welcome to redemption. We love to preach the Bible and that's not actually what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible truly says. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And let me just suggest to you, if any time somebody talks about money, you get offended, it might be because you love money more than others. Because you're unwilling to let it go. You're the one with the problem. Because you get so offended, so upset, so anxious, anybody talks about money because that's what you think about. You still think it's your money. If you think it's your money, then you're going to love it. But it's the love of money, which is the root of all evil. And from it, many people have pierced themselves with many pangs. Listen, greed is the cause for all of the evil in the world today. The love of money is the reason for war, injustice, famine, plagues, war. All of those things is a result of greed. And the only way we can overcome the greed is by learning to give generously because giving is the only antidote that comes to greed. Have you ever met a greedy person? Do they seem very happy? They seem happy? No, because there's always something else. They're never satisfied. They're never content. They always need more, have to have more. And then they're always looking at what they don't have and they're never content and satisfied with that. Because greed is down in their heart. Now, do you know how to break that cycle of greed? By learning how to give generously, because giving is the only antidote when it comes to greed. And so we need to learn how to be generous. We need to learn how to be a blessing, and we need to learn how to be giving towards other people, because giving is the antidote that comes when we learn how to overcome the greed in our hearts, which leads us to the sixth and the final point. Here's here's the last point. Let me say this one more time before we move into this part. When it comes to money, money is a tool. That's all that it is. Money's not good. Money's not bad. It really depends on your heart. It really depends on what you do with it. Money can buy a house. Money could also tear a house apart. Money can feed a nation in poverty. Money could also start a war. Money could help a marriage be blessed, but money could also be the reason that a marriage ends in divorce. Money is just whatever you do with it. And here's the choice we all have to make. You will either use money and love people, or you will love money and you will use people. But you can't do both. You will either love money and use people, walk over them, take advantage of them, or you will use money so that way you can love people. Did you know that during COVID-19, over the last six months as a church, we have used money to love people? This is why we're inviting you to give. Not because we're greedy, but because we are giving back. Did you know that during COVID-19, you guys have given above and beyond to be able to meet the needs of our community. When COVID first started, many families in our home actually lost their jobs. And so because of your giving, not a single person in our church went the entire month without having food on their table because you bought groceries, paid their mortgage, paid their car notes, paid their apartment bills. You did that. Before the government could get a stimulus check, God's people gave to be a blessing to their congregation. That's you. Did you know that we actually support significantly the Hope Center here in Beaumont? which works with at-risk or single moms, and it gives them another option besides abortion. 
And so we're supporting these women who are in crisis pregnancies, letting them know that there's another option. And that's because of your giving. It's totally free for them. Do you know when the Hurricane Harvey came, or Hurricane, Hurricane Laura came through, you guys gave in one Sunday over $7,000 to help rebuild homes and distribute food to people who are victims during the Hurricane Laura. Did you know that you did that? You gave over $20,000, your normal giving this year, to be able to meet the needs of our community. Do you know why we teach over giving? Do you know why we teach over generosity and over stewardship? Do you know why we do those things? Because we greedy. No, we give it all away. Because giving is the antidote to greed. Which leads to the final point. Is that... God doesn't raise our standard of living. Here's what God really wants to do. He wants to raise our standard of giving. God wants to raise the standard of giving in your life. He wants to raise the standard of giving in the church. God doesn't just want to raise our standard of living. Here's what God's blessings do. They raise the standard of giving for us. Here's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 actually says. He who supplies the seed, who supplies the seed, he does. It's his seed. That earth and the fullness belong to him. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, the seed is mine, declares the Lord. Everything belongs to him. And who gives it to us? He does. He supplies the seed. Here's what we read. And the bread for food, he will supply and he will multiply that seed for sowing and increase the harvest for your righteousness. God sows it. God supplies it. God increases it. God gives it. It's his. And he trusts us with this. Why? Next verse 11. It says this. You're not going to believe this. Here's what it says. Redemption. It's crazy. So that you will be enriched in every single way. You're going to be rich. God gives so you can get rich. You can get rich. You can buy that house. You can buy that car. Go ahead. Get those new shoes. Get those new clothes. Go ahead. Increase your living status. God wants you to be rich. Name it. Claim it. Blab it. Grab it. If you want it, you can have it. How many of you get uncomfortable when a pastor talks like that? And all you got to do is sow a $100 face seed today, and then it's the increase for you. How many of you are comfortable? A little comfortable? Okay, let's just keep reading the Bible. Here's actually what it says. It does say you will be enriched. God doesn't mind blessing you. God wants to. God doesn't mind helping you. He wants to. He doesn't want to. He doesn't mind providing for you. He wants to. You will be enriched in every single way. Stewardship will change your life. It's true. You will be enriched in every single way. Why? For you? No. Here's what it says. So that way you can be generous in every single way. So that through us, the church, through you, the church member, will produce thanksgiving to God. God doesn't just raise our standard of living. Stewardship will do that. When you learn to make a budget, when you learn to live within your means, when you learn that you're spending God's money, not yours, guess what happens? You're going to make better decisions when it comes to your finances. That's true. And one of the best ways to get a raise is to give yourself a raise through good stewardship. Amen. You know the saying, like, you can save 15% on your insurance by switching to GEICO? You can save 15% on your finances by switching to the Bible. Amen. Very true. It will increase. 
And it will raise your standard of living when you learn to live within your means. But that's not the reason that God does this. Here's the reason why. Because he wants to raise our standard of giving. At the beginning of the sermon, I told you this. 30% of the world's wealth is right here in the good old U.S. of A. Some people say that's a bad thing. Personally, I'm kind of grateful for that. (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm proud. I'm glad. I'm glad of that. The second thing is this. We have more Christians per capita than any other nation on the planet. So we are the most wealthy and we tend to be the most godly. God has raised the standard of living among his people in our country. But has our standard of giving met the increase for the standard of living that God has trusted us with? If I haven't gotten you convicted yet in the sermon... Here we go. Let's check the standard of giving for American Christians. One in four Christians in 2019, this comes from the State of the Plate, Barner Research. One in four Christians in 2019 gave, bum, 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 zero dollars. The average Christian gave $300 to their local church all year. Less than 1% of all church giving goes towards supporting missionaries. On average, Christians give 2.5% of their after-tax income. 80% of those who make, this is crazy, listen to this. 80% of those who make over $100,000 give less than those who make $30,000. So you think, if I just made more money, then I would give more money. Not statistically, you'll actually give less because money fuels temptation. So you'll be spending more money to increase your standard of living instead of actually investing in the kingdom by increasing your standard of giving. We go on and we read this. 5% of church members give 60% of their church's budget. So 60% of everything you see here at Redemption statistically would come from 5% of the people in our congregation. And since COVID-19, 65% of churches report that they have taken a significant decrease in tithes and offerings. Standard of living. Standard of giving. God has increased our standard of living while we have decreased continually the standard of giving in the church. How many of you feel convicted? Gotcha, told you. But that's not my plan. I'm your pastor. I love you. My plan is not to beat you up. My plan is to build you up. I don't want to tell you what you don't do. I want to tell you what God can do if we all learned how to do this. So what is God's standard of giving? How many of you would say it's the tithe? 10% first and best to the Lord. That's God's standard for giving. How many of you think that's a trick question the pastor's trying to get me? Here's God's standard of giving. You ready? It's Jesus. Jesus is God's standard of giving. That when God sent Jesus, he gave us his best. When God sent Jesus, he gave us his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. And when Jesus came, he lived the perfect life, the 100% life. 
the life that you and I could never live. And when Jesus died the death, he purchased us back by paying the ransom, forgiving us of our sins, 100% of those sins. Jesus doesn't give you 10% of his life. He gave you 100% of his life. Jesus doesn't die for 10% of your sins. He died for 100% of your sins. Jesus didn't come to cast your sins as 10% to the east, as 10% is to the west. No, he came to cast them as far as the east is to the west. He didn't come to make you a 10% new creation in Christ Jesus, but to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jesus gives us 100%. Now, if you're willing to tithe 100% of your income like Jesus, have at it. But the rest of us, we're going to trust God with 10% for now, okay? Because I think the tithe is actually the principle. I personally don't believe the tithe is the law. I believe that the tithe is the principle. It's God's gateway to generous giving. It is the floor. It is not the ceiling. It is the training wheels, so to speak, of teaching you how to be generous. And so we encourage you to start at 10%. So what would happen if every Christian in the church were to give 10%? Well, here's what the statistics continue to show. If every Christian in the church would give 10%, here's what would happen. There would be a financial increase every single year of $165 billion with a B. And here's what we could do. What could we do with $165 billion per year on top of what we already get? Here's what we could do. If every Christian learned to tithe, $25 billion would end global hunger, starvation, deaths from preventable diseases. How many of you look around the world and you say, man, that's not the way that it should be. I believe God's looking around the world and saying the same thing about us because we have the means and the ability to end world poverty. $25 billion, done. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. How many believe that kids should learn how to read? How many of you think that it would be awesome if there was a Bible translated in every single language around the world? How many of you think that people should read the word of God? Well, we could provide that. We could do that if we would just learn how to give. $15 billion would end the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places where the world lives on 1 billion uh, billion people live on less than $1 a day. And this would would happen. $110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. And that means that every single church in America, including Redemption, would have an annual increase of their budget of $1 million left over. So we could transform the world and we could change our church. We could do whatever we wanted. What could we do with a million dollars redemption? Can you just think, what would we do as a church with an extra million dollars? If we give $20,000 above and beyond, and we have a budget of 290,000, what do you think we could do if we had an extra million dollars laying around? What could we accomplish? What could we do as a church? We could do anything. 
Do you want to start Redemption Youth? Hey, we can do that. Do you want to invest in the children's ministry? Guess what? We can do that. In fact, let's just dream a little bit bigger. What if, instead of just having kids church, what if we took some of those resources and we used it as an opportunity to build a community center in our city? What if we invested that in providing special needs ministry for children with autism and other needs because oftentimes their parents can't come to church because churches are not equipped to be able to serve their children. We could do that. When you look at the homeless situation here, we could feed every single homeless person in Beaumont every single day, every single week of the year. In fact, we could go beyond that. We could start a homeless shelter. No, what is this? Why don't we create education opportunities and resources to break the systemic poverty that's in our community? We could do that if we all just learn how to tithe. You know what we could do? We could buy First Baptist cash tomorrow. It's ours. It's ours. If we all just learn how to give, we can have First Baptist tomorrow and every seat will be filled with somebody's name that you personally led to Jesus. We could do that if we all just learn how to give. If we all learned how to give, Bo could get a new pair of pants. In fact, Bo could get two pairs of pants if we just learned how to give. And practice good stewardship. But redemption, I got something amazing I want to tell you. Some of y'all wonder, Pastor Byron, why have you saved the giving sermon for the last sermon? Shouldn't you have changed and saved the vision sermon for the last sermon? Why are you doing the giving sermon on the last sermon? Because I have something very exciting I want to tell you. I've been praying and praying and praying. And God has finally answered our prayers. You will not believe what happened. I have an exciting announcement. Are y'all ready? God has given us a gift, a significant gift. It will change our church forever. God has given us a gift, over $1 million gift came to our church. youth, baby. Hey, that's redemption kids, baby. That's First Baptist, baby. One million dollars. One million dollars. What's up, worship team? Y'all act like y'all surprised y'all too emo for this. One million dollars. But I need y'all to be praying with me. Because there is a small problem, though. It's tied up in the banks right now. I don't really know how that all works. But it is, it is ours. God has given. It's just tied up in the bank. So I need you to be praying. Because it's in your bank. It's in, your, it's in your bank. It's in your bank too. And in yours. And in yours. And in yours. Because here, here's, here's the thing. Our church is 300 people. If you pull out your phone, you do a little math. The average income of Beaumont's $36,000. Times 10%. 3600000 52 weeks a year, $69 a week in a tithe, times 
52. That's our budget for our church. That's what, if God had his way in our church, that would be our budget. $1,080,000. That's what, if we learned to steward, that's what we would be as a church. This is why stewardship is so important. Because it's about investing in the kingdom of God. God has already given us everything that we need to be able to accomplish everything he has called us to do. It's just in your hands. That's why stewardship is so important. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise the standard as a church. So this whole series is all about raising the standard. Week one, we want to raise the standard of what a church is. That we don't want you to just come to church. No, we want you to be the church at home, in your community, at work, with your friends, with your kids, whatever it is. We want you to be the church everywhere you go. Second week, we talked about discipleship. We don't want just to make decisions. No, we want to be disciples of Jesus. It's the most important thing is our souls and our discipleship to the Lord. Week three, we talked about sound doctrine, about applying God's word in our life. Week four, we raised the standard of what it means to be a member of a church, that every single year you're going to lead one person to Jesus. We are going to commit ourselves to fulfilling the great commission of God in our lives. And if we can trust God in all of those areas, shouldn't we also be able to trust him in this one? We are going to raise the standard of giving for us as a church. So here's my challenge for you. How many of you would love to see that? Praise the Lord. That would be incredible. So here's my challenge for you. On your Connect card, every single person in the room has a Connect card under their chair. On your Connect card, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take it out, fill it out, name, email, address, the whole nine. And I want you to write right here where it says other. For those of you who are ready, I'm going to issue a challenge to you. I'm going to give you a 90-day tithe challenge. If you're ready to step up, step out in faith and begin to practice the tithe 10% to the Lord, I want to support you in that. I want to walk with you as you do that. And so I'm going to challenge you, 90 days, give a tithe. Write tithe on here, and you have to fill it out because I'm going to give you a book to help you. Everybody who fills out the Connect card is going to get this right here. It's The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. A good friend of mine actually gave it to me, and it changed my view of finances and stewardship. And I want to give this to you as well. And so if you fill out this card and you take the 90-day tithe challenge, I will buy you this book. And if at the end of the 90 days your love for God has not grown and you have not experienced life change through Jesus, I'll give you your money back. That's how much I believe in this. But you got to read the book. So fill out the card, take the tithe challenge. Write the word tithe in there. For those of you who already do practice the tithe, actually, let me say that one last. For those of you who do not tithe, but you want to start giving, you do give, maybe it's just a little bit, a 20 here, a five there, a hundred bucks when you remember it, and that's where you're at. Hey, that's okay. But we want to help you take that next step in following Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the word give on your connect card. I want you to become a percentage giver. So when you go home and you check your finances today and you look at your bank account and you look and see how much you give, let's say you give 2.5%. Well, you know today that that's not the way that God would have us to give. So how about we do this? How about we up it to 5%? 
Do 5% for a few months. See how that goes. Trust God a little bit more. Then step it up to 7%. Trust God a little bit more. Then step it up to 8%, then to 10%. And trust God a little bit more over time. If that's you, if you're ready to become a percentage giver, write the word give, and I actually want to give you this book because I believe it's going to help you. So if you fill out the connect card, write the name, word give, put your name on there. I'm going to buy you this book. For those of you who do tithe already, I want you to write the word pray because I want for you for the next 90 days to partner in prayer with me and all of the members of our church and all of the people in our church who are gonna take this step. See, those of you who already give 10% in tithing, you know the joy of generosity giving. And so you want other people to be able to experience the joy that you already have. And so for the next 90 days, would you be praying for our church when it comes to the stewardship of those who are taking that step to practice the tithe for the first time and for those who are gonna become a percentage giver. And if you're here today and you need some help and you're not able to practice giving, you're not able to tithe. Do you know what 10% of zero is? Zero. So for those of you without work, hey, it's our job to help you. That's why we're encouraging all these other people to give so we can give back to those who are in need. And so if you're here and you're unable to give, can you do me a favor? Can you write help? And we're going to buy you the book. We're going to get you some help and some benevolence. And we're going to reach out to begin to partner with you through budgeting and all these different things. Maybe we could even help you find a job. We want to help you. If you're unable to give, write the word help so we can know the needs of our church. But also if you're here and you're not unable, but let's just say you're unwilling to give. I want you to write the word help there. Also, if you're unwilling to give, I want you to write the word help because something's wrong with you. And we need to help you because there's a discipleship heart issue that's not working and you're not understanding the kingdom of God. And it's our job to help you so that way you can experience life change through Jesus. Let us help you. Stewardship is so incredibly important because it's how we invest in the kingdom of God and it's how God begins to work in us. So take that connect card, fill it out, take the challenge, drop it in the basket on your way out the door. And I wanna buy you this book Because guys, we got more work to do. There's more people to love. There's more missionaries to send. There's more churches to be planted. And there's more lives to be changed. Every time we give, that's what God does. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Uh